Hello, I'm Ed Miliband, and I'm thinking about drop. Drop's a funny word. You can drop a lot of things. You can drop in on somebody. You can drop a tab of acid. You can drop the soap. And you can drop it like it's hot. There's only one drop I'm interested in, and it's the Drop Wine app. It's a London-based wine delivery service. Mm-hmm. I remember when I had to walk to the shops to buy a bottle of mass-produced hangover-inducing wine in the cold, in the dead, dead cold. Now I just hip-hop onto the Drop Wine app. I order some wine from their independent producers and a selection of 150 bottles. Maybe I'll add a couple of cheeky beers and a piece of Comte to the order. And then I'll look forward to receiving my wine within the hour. Oh, God, what a service. Download at dropwine.co.uk and enter the promo code KITCHENONFIRE at the checkout to enjoy £10 off your first order. Happy, happy days. Also, sorry, I got it wrong. It wasn't a wolf having sex with a bear. It was a wolf-dog hybrid. (laughs) Absolute circle of refutation going on here. It's not Soho Radio. This is right. I did that for a while. I know, what you said. So that was you and Carl No, it was, it was, um... So Carl, <laughs> Carl, he's got a mate who is like, um, like a you know sort of a, a I think he's like a manager for several semi-famous people, and Carl was his mate, and um, they did it together. Like uh, Carl, right. Carl was struggling for the first show, so he phoned me up, and I went on, and you know it was quite good fun. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then in between then, oh okay yeah, so he was like, so in between then, um, Carl got into a bit of a scuffle in Hertfordshire. And, Got thrown out of a two-story building, so he was out of action for a while. You got thrown out of a two-story. Well, I think it's a, you know, it's a bit mixed reports as to how it happened, but I think um, yeah. So he was out of action for a while. He's quite lucky to not get too injured. Um, I think Carl was doing kickboxing then, but I don't think he was that good. But right. When he got drunk, I think he was quite keen on. <laughs> if, you were, if you were quite big, he, he sort of. So what did you do in practice? Um, you built practice. So he was um, dear old um, Noshable Adam was my source of information, and um, so then. Carl just couldn't do it for a while, so and this guy was a bit stuck. So I was like, "Oh Christ, I'll have a crack." And what I loved, I was terrible on the actual program, but um, I was quite good at actually just working out what would be quite good right. shows. And we did so was it food? It was all food, but yeah. I, I really don't know that much about food. You'll probably find in a minute. Really. I know about, about produce, but um, the ins and outs of cooking, I'm not overly interested in. I think it's yeah, great. but it's all about produce these days, isn't is it? it? <laughs> well, I think, very okay. ingredient-led yeah. cooking going on. <laughs> is this actually on at the moment or? Yeah. Oh, so cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Sure yeah, but what I yeah. always do is I'll start doing that and we'll start recording. And then when I come to edit, I realise we didn't actually introduce who the guest is, so okay. I have to cut that in. But you can introduce Matt yeah. now. Well, yeah, yeah, it's Matt. We're here with Matt Chatfield, who's been discussed on the podcast before when we had Adam from Eater on. Uh, he's a great champion of ingredients, produce, especially from Cornwall. And we met back in the day when you were yeah, we did, with the yeah. Adam and Eve. Yeah, that's right. Um, and you gave us some advice before we opened Pigeon in terms of suppliers and Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, met, we met Net about again, didn't we? I've got you a notebook somewhere. We had a book launch with us, I think. That's right, yeah. yeah. A very was... cheap one. Your budget was very... <laughs> budget. They were like, you can have a tenner. <laughs> you can have a tenner. See what you can get them to do for a tenner. <laughs> but we wanted to be brilliant. Okay, yeah. right. I think we, you know, we... 
I had an able chef there, Michael Harrison. I'll probably talk about it later on, but he, he was able to do the old miracle. So, so uh, what's the what's the what's the story? What in terms of with you? Um, I think with me, um, just we'll come from a farming background essentially. So my folks, um, we rented the same farm, and the big you know thing is that my whole life's a lie because our family farms in Devon. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> We took down Rosie Burke once, um, Rosie Foodie, and uh, she did a tour for like three days with us. And it was brilliant, and we ended up, a, you know, piecing independent. And um, and like she kept on saying, "Can I see the family farm?" And we're like, "Well, okay, well, well you know, no." And at the end of it, we just had to admit that, you know, it was endeavour. But, um, <laughs> but I, I was born in Cornwall, a place called Oatree Nursing Home, but that's actually been destroyed. So all evidence of my birthplace in Cornwall has now oh. gone. And quite a few people, including Charlie Stein of the Stein family, every time I. Do anything on Twitter? I mentioned Cornwall. He puts hashtag Jana, which is a Plymouth Argyle supporter. Right. So, so I think I will need to be like a barber. I might have to start looking for my yeah my best. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. people I'm, are going to be people, <laughs> new birther movement. For, yeah, I think the so. Cornwall project. Yeah. So, did you say you were born in a nursing home? It was well, it was called Oatree Nursing Home. Right. But they did have you were able to be born there as well. It's like circular life stuff. That's yeah, right. but it was really funny is that it's now three miles from where Coombs Head is. So I was born, yeah. yeah, so, but it has been knocked down. But it's called Tree because it was, um, back in the day, this was like, you know, 1900s rather than right. 1970s, yeah. but um, if, if you were caught, you know, stealing a chicken, then you were hung from a tree. So it's quite a nice place to, to, for people to see out their own days. By your feet? Or, um, or like hanged? Yeah, 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 you know, back in the day when well, like dead, hanged yeah, 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 from the yeah, natural yeah, yeah, dead. Yeah, I think there was, you know, I mean, I think you're possibly from a rural area that they were fairly ruthless to people who, who pinched. Don't go rustling chickens. Yeah, I mean, I, they don't Devon. go now. As far as, uh, as far as you know, yeah. As far as I know, but dark but, things happen. Those dark alleys down <laughs> yeah. in the West Country, you know it's, what's going on. But that, that tree's definitely gone. So, so, um, so you no. Know, so basically, farming background, um, and if, uh, we rented a farm off um, some very wealthy landowners in North Devon. Um, for about 400 years and my granddad was the first person to actually buy it Right. but just as he bought it things were getting very bad he was a dairy farmer but then he was the first person to introduce Frisians into the South West which is right. you know for a few vegans out there probably not so impressed with that fact but I'm quite I'm quite proud of it um, and essentially so brought up you know um, you know my, my actually you know we weren't overly wealthy so um, but the farm was never really an option and my granddad was you know he bought the farm but it was quite clearly things were getting bad for the farm right. and then it was only a small holding so probably about 70 acres he rented about 40 acres but the farmer so it was probably 70 or 80 right. and I think he saw the writing on the wall so we were never encouraged you should get, to you farm. Should get sort of muscled out by massive um, no no we, we haven't so it's still there actually so straight I mean, I'll probably go on to talk about that a bit later because okay. I think you've probably just touched upon the most important aspect of farming actually so well, we, okay well where do you, where do you want to start because you're, 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 you're we've got you in very I, quickly I think for me following what, like yeah. a, a yeah, I think for me what, what I talk about is um, I think it's very important to establish why people are passionate about what they do and I think what we've done with what we've done with the Cornwall Project is you know you've just got to find really passionate people I sort of call them obsessive weirdos not to yeah. their faces but, um, and what you do is if you find someone who's incredibly obsessive about a certain thing you know then You've got to find those people and harness it and then basically link them with other obsessive weirdos. And I'm sort of obsessive weirdo in trying to link obsessive weirdos. <laughs> um, and, but if you find people who are just so focused and so into what they're doing... So, then, for example? Um, I would say, for example, um, I think one of the funniest stories is um, 
when we started doing distribution, I was doing it all myself, sort of finding weird and wonderful, fairly legal, but they were pretty, you know, quite odd. It took me... And this, this is sort of 10 years ago? This or? is like, ten, yeah, I think two years in Cornwall and eight, yeah, eight years yeah. ago we started. Um, so we had to get... Cornwall has got a natural asset whereby we've got more grass than anywhere in the country. Growing season starts before anyone else. The grass is phenomenal, the soil is phenomenal. Um, hasn't really been touched by arable farming, so hasn't really, you know, the soil structure hasn't been sort of destroyed, as it were. Good rootstock, probably. Incredible rootstock. I'm, I'm yeah. very into soils. I'm We're very into rootstock since root, yesterday. What is yeah. that rootstock? Is that like a. We, uh, no, we, we did. Is that a type of. We got new planters. <laughs> we got new planters <laughs> at, the, at Magpie, and so we were doing putting them in oh, and man, pulling yeah, yeah. out the old ones, and, and that was just my it's, line. It's, I think the last six months is my it's now my obsession. Like, is um, if you find people who smell soil, they're, they're the ones you want to be interested in. You find people who taste soil. You well, winery, and you get. I, I, I was told to. I think maybe in Australia, I was told to start eating soil. I mean, maybe yeah, murked. Think, yeah. Well, that's another thing I'll touch upon later on. I think that my, you know, that's sec- the second most important thing going forward, actually. Um, anyway, um, so where was I? <laughs> it's quite early. Uh, so, so linking quick weirdos. Quick coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had a late one. <laughs> we were, should we have a Friday Branker? No, we were <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd be sick. Yeah. Um, uh, so basically, it's trying to find So basically, where my obsession came from is, um, and I'll get a bit personal now, I didn't talk about this for about eight years, but I'm now fairly open to it because I don't think I'm quite mentally as challenged these days. But um, essentially, farmers never option. I went off to London and did publishing. Strangely enough. Right. I worked for the guys opposite for two or three years. What, Freemasons? Yeah. Really? That was, that was, at the end of my publishing career was working for those folks. Wow. So I got quite close to them without getting close, close. But you're not a Freemason? No, 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 no. I, and they never really asked Matt, me to be. You, not, <laughs> <laughs> they, that was a strange thing. They, they never actually asked me. So, but I, I Do think you have I, to get invited? How does it even work? I th- um, oh, Christ. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, you he could be, tell you, but then... No, 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 no I think you have to be invited. I know loads of because I worked for the company that did their PR. Right. <laughs> so it was... It was, I'm not obviously laughing. Hey, like, can we cut out the laughing? That's yeah. fine. <laughs> they're, are they, they're on a PR drive at the moment to make well, they, the Freemasons less creepy. Well, my guy wasn't that great at PR, so right. they're also. They're also I was going to say their PR company's not great because you hit Freemason and you just think, oh yeah. my god. So. Yeah, but I think. So I think I did suss there was another campaign, but obviously the first campaign wasn't overly successful. But um, at that stage, I was actually quite into conspiracy theories. I was, um, right. I was enjoying um, things that made me quite relaxed in the evening and made me possibly in my mind wonder and I got quite into like there's a there's definitely a link between smoking doobies and big <laughs> conspiracy theories but well. no okay <laughs> I think so I was um, and it got a little bit too much so I was like right okay the only way to find out is to perhaps get on the inside and I got on the inside and I realised that maybe you know they weren't controlling the world yeah. <laughs> I think it was quite that that was quite evident actually um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean when you see them walking around Great Queen Street you're like I don't think these guys can barely no, control their bladders I just <laughs> I can't believe you're taking a swing at the Freemasons yeah no, no, man, yeah, come I on. mean he, he says he's seen behind the curtain but I'm staying, <laughs> staying out of that one um, that's on you James yeah, we, we might have to think about the editing on this but, um, I'm fine but, um, okay. but no so what, my funny thing with that I would say a story is that we were, I was basically publishing their first ever magazine. And two funny stories. The first one is to find out about the Freemasons to sell advertising. You obviously need to know who your readers are. And with yeah. the Freemasons, that was quite tricky. So we had to do a readership survey. <laughs> so, and there were 300,000 copies going out, like hard copies of the Bloody magazine. Bloody hell. I was like, okay, okay, that's, you know, I think that's in the public arena. So when I'd done readership surveys before with magazines, you'd probably expect like a 0.1% response. So, you know, say you've got a circulation of 50,000. Yeah. I'll do my quick maths, maybe like 50 or 60. So you're basing your readership on yeah. that. And with the Freemasons, I think they sort of felt quite obliged to 
to fill in the survey. So over three hundred very thousand. secretive people. Yeah, no, no, they yeah, fill it yeah, in. They did. They were. I don't think they were secretive things. So they felt obliged. So we we had an office, and for about six months, we probably got like ten thousand subscription <laughs> forms come back every Jesus. day. Jesus. And the guy doing the forms was like, right, we'll, I think we'll stop at 2000. They were, they're probably still coming in now. It was like, it was quite funny. They were just boxed, like, it was really funny. So that was what, quite funny. Oh, remarkable. Yeah. And then, and, so... And the second part of the story, first of all, I had to well, then go to a meeting one day and tell them who their members were. And there was, at that time, there were some fairly interesting characters. And that, I was a bit, okay, they were also quite interesting. Fairly powerful people involved. But, yeah, right. But anyway, we might cut this out as well. But, yeah. Um, but anyway, it was quite interesting to tell them yeah, I bet. Who, who their readers were. And I, that, that information will die with me, which may be tomorrow. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right, this doesn't go out for a couple of weeks. You've got okay. a couple of weeks to get your right, affairs okay. in order. Okay, I'll, I'll head to the hills in Cornwall. Um, so, that's Bodmin Moor, actually, and that's pretty open. No, I think I'll, I'll find a deciduous What happened on oh, the Beast of Bodmin Moor? Yeah. yeah. I brought him up the other day, and nobody, obviously that was 30 years ago. So yeah, this who guy was did, that? What's that? Who was that? It was a thing. It was, it was a cat. Catch him. It was a cat. cat. I thought it was like a murderer. It was a cat. <laughs> it was a cat. It sounded like a murderer. It was yeah. a cat. No, yeah, the just beast a cat. Of, yeah. this, is, this is very relevant for your listeners. Right? This happened 30 years ago. Well, it was right when I was sort of... Yeah, but that's important stuff, the Beast of Bob. It was big. It was massive. Yeah. And it was it's quite clearly... A, you know, we now know that people, lots of people decided to get really big cats and then they released them. So I think now... I mean, I've seen one. I have seen one. What a beast on board! Yeah, no, so I saw it, it was on our lane. Really? <laughs> so it was well, the, like a panther, I think. It was, I would say it was, a, a, yeah, maybe a panther or a puma. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, well, it leapt like twelve feet over a fence, <laughs> like or a hedge, Crumbs. and it was quite obviously. I'm quite into nature. I'm not. Yeah. How many doobies did you smoke? That, yeah, that was that was that was during my doobie stage. <laughs> <laughs> it was massive. We, it was just really we, close. It was right in front of you. I think you, I think you, at this We've, point you have to kind of accept there probably is whether it's a puma or a leopard or whatever yeah. the fuck it is. Because there's, there's loads it's of sightings in like Winchester yeah. or whatever. Mm. Up like in, the downs. in Texas, there are more tigers in Texas than there are anywhere else in the entire world. You know, people really people do keep animals. You know? Yeah, I'm not. You know, I'm not. Yeah, but that I mean that's. And there was a stage when I think at a point the government came in and there was like a dangerous animals act or something, mm. and then people suddenly thought, "All oh, right, yeah. so what do we do? But let's let's they, release them." But did they catch the beast of Bob? No, no, it was never caught. It was never caught. They got sniped. But people, in. people just got bored of talking about it. Um, I think it probably just died of natural causes, or yeah. it didn't exist. No, that but there were there were lambs being. Yeah, that's true. In my head, I'm like some mortal <laughs> still out beast there. Yeah. Out in the woods. Such the the yeti. No, what one? Abominable Bigfoot. snowman. Bigfoot. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Bigfoot. Sasquatch. Um, did you see? There was a thing in the states. Was it in Texas? Something where they shot this thing and they don't know what it is. It looks like a cross between a wolf and a bear. A wolf and a bear. Oh, it's the strangest looking thing. It looks like a wolf wearing massive gloves. Really? Like these enormous is paws. You- I've seen most things on YouTube. I haven't seen. No, that. it wasn't on YouTube. It was on this news report, and they were like, "We don't know what it is." And then somebody was like, "It could have been a." Union between a bear and a wolf, and oh, no. somehow well, got some sort of mutation thing. Yeah, <laughs> mm. but no. honestly, it's the weirdest looking thing. Yeah. It was real. It's real. So I'm, yeah. I'm I just saw photos, not video. Yeah. So. Okay. Photos. Photos. <laughs> yeah, photos are real. I've seen days. photos yeah. of Chewbacca. Right. Does that make Chewbacca real? <laughs> it didn't look dissimilar to Chewbacca. Yeah. Was Chewbacca it? with bigger hands? Was right. it on a poster? No, no, no. <laughs> like, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's quite you know recent, isn't it? I think it was. This was real. I'll find it. I'm going to find it. Let's go back to Cornwall. So basically, my passions come from um, I. And I will get slightly. Um, I won't, I'll try not to cry. Um, but essentially, from was an option. I did publishing for ten years in London. 
my granddad died during that phase and he was the farmer and I, I was pretty hedonistic at that stage as I was probably hinted um, right. and it didn't really affect you know it had affected me as much as it should have really and then my nan was my favourite person in the world she then got very ill so at that time I was living in Wiltshire um, and I spent a lot of time with her when she was passing away it wasn't the nicest time but it was that time I sort of thought like I needed to connect with the farm again so right. I just came up with the idea then of um, yeah basically I knew I could be a farmer but how can I actually help the farming community and I you know it's quite personal but I sort of said at that stage you know made a promise to her that I would dedicate the rest of my life to helping farmers you wow. know? so that you know it was quite a strong and that, you know I didn't have much direction so I possibly needed to find a direction so possibly that was you know an enforced yeah. direction so basically that was 10 years ago I think it was 10 years ago a couple of weeks ago actually and then um yeah, so that's sort of what I've done. So basically, I've become an obsessive weirdo in the sense of every day I get up, it's, yeah, that's my sort of promise, really. So, yeah, so that's where it came from. So I think, for me, you've got to find out where the passion comes from. And I think you asked for another example, and the other example is quite funny. Um, I started doing crazy ways of getting stuff to London. And my, there's a guy in Cornwall... Stuff being produced. Produced, yeah. So we start, So basically, Cornwall's got... I'm jumping around like crazy, aren't I? Um, that's right. So basically... Um, Cornwall's got natural growing season, huge spot of grass in the, before anyone else in the country, and it's beautiful, grows really well, and then we also get a second spot sort of September, October, which nobody else gets. So right. if you do believe grass-fed lamb, beef, and now pork, actually, something else I'll try and talk about. Maybe write a note of things I ought to come back to with my, with my jumping around. <laughs> it's like, let's pretend this is a proper You're podcast. You're producing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> at, least, at, least somebody, at least somebody is. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, how long have we got, by the way? You might. Um, uh, I once did a one and a half hour best best man speech, so you need to. Um, <laughs> you you Jesus. <laughs> oh, my sister was at a wedding last weekend. She, yeah, showing you the video, and it was like two hours of speeches oh, in Russian. Oh, and like, re- but not like fun. Scroll. No, that's not Russian, is it? Nazdrovye. You know, not yeah. like massive vodka. It was just like really earnest, long. Two hours of speeches and yeah, so it's her husband just sitting there. So it sounds very Russian. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, really long and pretty depressing. <laughs> yeah. Just like just you, like, like Tolstoy. Yeah. yeah, you're in trouble with the Freemasons. I'm in trouble with the Russians. Yeah, this, this pod is coming I'll to take, an end. I'll take I'll take I'll take whatever Freemasons can put in over think, Novichok. I think, yeah. yeah, that is true. I think yeah. it's a harder PR job for the Russians than the Freemasons yeah. at the moment. Yeah, isn't that is also true. To the, uh, uh, also, sorry, I got it wrong. It wasn't a wolf having sex with a bear. It was. A wolf dog hybrid. Oh. But look at his paw. That looks like a. It's got a strange paw. That could just be the it's dog, not, a dog paw. It's no, not that strange. It is when you see the whole thing. Look at it. Oh, that's a better picture. What website is this on? It's <laughs> just Google. What I Googled was strange wolf bear creature. Right, right, okay. Right. Look. Hashtag. It's a weird thing. It's got wildlife experts are baffled. Baffled. Well, I mean, I've seen, a, I've seen a documentary about a. Cat, a cat bird. Really? But it was actually not a documentary. It was on Brassai. It sort of looks like a wolf. So, you know, you can... Yeah, it looks like a wolf, but it's not the same because the paws are rough. Well, see, it's a, a, a hybrid between a wolf and a dog. What or do you maybe think? a hyena, but that's obviously from a different continent. Yeah, I mean, it's in maybe Denton. they're pen pals. In Denton, in Texas. <laughs> what do you think about rewilding? I think that's, I mean, that's one of my absolute obsessions as well. Um, right. I'll probably, let's put that down as a... Right. Well, don't have to, I've just asked you. <laughs> I mean, I'm, try, I'm trying to keep this... Um, okay, let's keep I'm trying track. to keep a thread, guys, all right? Okay, all right. I'm a professional. Clearly. All this rambling. I watch podcasts. You right. watch podcasts? Well, I, yeah, I do. Like, oh, do you watch, like... The video ones. Right, do you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. get distracted with all yeah. the things going on the screen. Um, I find it a lot better. Do you? I find it, absolutely, absolutely. I, and I, I would recommend... What do you, you listen to when you're going from A to B, then? 
A to B. What, like, like, you know, when you're travelling up from Cornwall or you're um, I will, walking around town? Well, you want to be Cornwall and listen to Pirate FM. That's a given. What's that? Like a radio show. Right. Like the Port Pirates. And it's just like, it never lets you down. It's, it's about pirates. Well, no, it's, it's, just, it. it's, just, it's just really happy people just like talking about Cornish stuff and right. they've got Cornish accents and they just played just very good driving music. Right. There's nothing, you know, it's not for the intelligent man, it's more for, you know, us people who... That's brilliant. So in Cornwall... Don't say yourself short, man. No, so I would say in Cornwall, you know, if you don't listen to Pirate FM, like all the chefs we've now moved down, which I'll probably talk on that if you want to add the chefs moving to Cornwall. Um, I would say... This is going to be a very sort of backloaded <laughs> podcast because we're not going to talk about anything until right at the end. Just tick them all off. That'll keep off people listening, though, don't it? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, we promise this will get interesting in about two hours. Maybe... Maybe sell down, yeah. you know, go and do some painting. Yeah, we don't go Joe Rogan here. We're not doing three hours. We're <laughs> right, yeah. an hour and a half max. Okay, I've got, I've got to eat Malaysian food. I've, I've eaten Malaysian food twice today. Happy days. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Where are you going? Um, I'm going to a restaurant at one o'clock that a friend has suggested. And that restaurant is... Um... Do you find in these days you forget how you've communicated with people? Because there's like about six yeah. different... So I but, think this was... But you can just search through your phone for everything. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So it's... Really? Yeah, just search it. It'll so, say, you know, if you write, type Malaysian, it'll say, Here, here's that in an email, here's that in WhatsApp, here's that in... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's... It's... Oh, Changki. Where's that? On um, 15 New Road. I don't supply them, so that's not me yeah, saying know. go there. Who do you supply at the moment up, up here? Um, Shay Bruce? No, that was our first, and we don't do them anymore. Oh, right. That was our first. They, the reason we're here is still here is because of Shea Bruce. Right. Um, and, you know, and then we don't know, but that was... Matt Christmas down there was... He was proper old school, but he's... He was, um, it's a good name, so, that, Matt Christmas. Yeah. Matt Christmas is a very cool name. Um, and, no, he was brilliant. He, without them, we wouldn't actually be here, because for a year... So it almost takes us back to where we were, wouldn't it, really? For a year, we... Um... I'm, not, I'm not an idiot. I'm, I'm a pro at this. <laughs> I've said I'm an idiot. You're saying you're not. Um, I'm a complete idiot. I keep talking brilliant. about wolves fucking brilliant. bears. Brilliant. Vital. Vital digression. Well, I'll try and go back to the thing. Obsessive weirdo, I want to finish on that. Okay. So I was doing distribution. We were finding weird and wonderful ways. Basically, we were using the fish distribution system and it, it meant working with I would say gangsters really the people who are running the fish transport system are, you know and I'm you know when I say gangsters I mean gangsters and we would put things on pallets well, no, what do you mean by well they had, I mean, they had white Range Rovers which is, is pretty dead right, giveaway yeah. like, if you see lots of white Range Rovers right yeah you you know a proper Range not like the trendy Vogue ones yeah, I'm yeah. talking like you know if you I think you've got a white Range Rover. If you look in the boot, you'll probably see things you don't want to see. So it used to be get, to get delivered to somewhere in North London, so I used to go and pick it up at 4 o'clock in the morning, put it into my van and do all deliveries. That was sort of how we started, but it wasn't a particularly nice thing. We then found another distribution method, which was putting on pallets. And we, by that stage, we were doing about four pallets. And I turned up... What's four pallets in terms four of pallets? fish? Christ. You know, oh, how many I mean, kilo it must be, must be like yeah, two tonnes, I'd say. Right. Maybe one and a half, two tonnes. Um, and then... And that was... East London, no, West London, we used to get that delivered. And I remember turning up one day, and it was the first time we were delivering to Gordon Ramsay. Like right. the, and then when I turned, up at, of him. I turned yeah. up at four in the morning, and um, there were three pallets. And I was like, oh. And I was like, where's the other pallet? This is four in the morning. Trying to, you know, trying to find distribution companies at four yeah. is great. Managed to get through, and they said, oh, well, that, that's gone to Swansea. I was like, okay, good. So I had to do all the deliveries, and then come back. 
And then by then it had come back to West London, and then I had to go to I had to go to restaurant Ramsey with I think it was Claire Smith at the time, right. and I'm lucky she wasn't there. Um, and I had to deliver their turbo during service at eight pm. <laughs> was, that was, was popular. Yeah, you know, it's um, times like that. You know, Every you, restaurant. You, well, goes, yeah. Times like that, you saw thing you needed different distribution service. So I met a guy called Gavin, who, um, Gavin Hicks, and he tried to do a fish distribution business. The aforementioned fish delivery company, when he first did it, like tried to run him off the road a few times. Um, you know, so it's pretty right. dangerous stuff. Like, um, so Gavin said, when you're big enough and strong enough, and when you blatantly can't do this yourself, but I will. He worked for his family owned a distribution company, and since the age of six, he wanted to do. Um, Chilled produce out of Cornwall. So From basically, the age of six, age of six he got an obsession. <laughs> what a dream! It's weird. Know. This is what I'm saying. So, so what's funny story about Gavin is I'm now working with the Welsh government, and they asked me how did you get on during the snow because obviously everywhere mm. was broken. And I sort of said about Gav, I said, well, basically <laughs> our distribution guy has been dreaming of chilled distribution since the age of six, and Gavin, Gavin is prepared for the hundred year storm. That was a ten year storm. So during the, during the, when there was absolute snow, the only vans going around Cornwall were. Gavin, right. you know, so so what I'm saying is, I mean, if chill distribution is your obsession, snow is a wonderful yeah, condition. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it's like I think what I'm trying to say is, find somebody who's absolutely obsessed. If you can help them realise that obsession, then then you just know it's going to work, and that that's that's essentially what I did really. So trying to find what I'm sort of saying is, um, everybody in our little group are weirdly obsessed with what they're doing and we connect with those people and when weirdly obsessed people connect they're only interested in getting better and when two very intelligent sets of people want to get better and there's no ego that's when special mm. things happen so so that was it so basically I had this weird thing where every day I'd made a promise to my nan and you know and I, it made me just do stupid stuff like get up at four in the morning hang around with gangsters um, and like and you know without that I would never have done it I would have given up after like a week really um, but no we, so we just sort of played on and then I would say one thing I found our actual ethos is and it'll come into later on I want to talk a little bit about gender politics later on um, put that one down here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> this list is getting very long <laughs> Chased Atherton once, right? Um, I didn't know that well, but I used to deliver to Pollen Street. Not anymore. There's another story about... You might want to mention that, actually. Um, let's, let's just mention yeah. it now. Right, OK. My but So I delivered to Chased Atherton, and, and actually, the first time I ever turned up, I'd been delivering to ages to Pollen Street when it started. Really good friends, you know, like... you Because know, I used to do all the deliveries myself, so just every day, and, like, you know, and I think... Seven so, days a week. It was five days a week. Right. Um, and then... So you got to know everyone, and that's why I probably know absolutely everyone in a way that... I think they've realised I work like a bit of a... A dick, and I think that's why people quite like me, really. And they also know they I'm, think you're a dick. So well, no, like no, no. I work like a heart. You know, I work oh, you very work hard. You work like a dick. Well, yeah. I think maybe I need a different. Um, yeah, you're the you're the you're the readers. Work like a dog. Work like a dog. Okay. No, I, I think Dick works. It's yeah. like, oh, he's, he's a dick. He works like way dick. too hard. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, respectfully. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I turn up the first time. Obviously, you're thinking all the time. Christ, where's this Aston guy? And I turn up once and. He was walking around with no trousers and a top, like, and it was a bit like it was definitely, you know, it was to show around his restaurant. Well, I think if you no, no, it was in the kitchen downstairs. Right. It was probably like eight in the morning, and it was basically a way of, you know, I'm saying he's quite a manly, you know, hard guy, and that was his way of showing, you know, this is my place. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Next time I turn up, this is my place. Yeah. These are my pants. Yeah. <laughs> Next time I turn up, 
who was not wearing a top with her trousers on. Like, and it was, I was like... Not like Putin? Is it, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Well, I would say similar management style. Yeah. But anyway, might want to cut that out. Um, <laughs> no, that's no, that's that's nice. um, so anyway, I didn't know him that well, but he'd seen me and he was very much like, you know, you're the guy, you know, never had a conversation. Anyway, Browner's Tavern opened and I went and met the head chef over there and I was sitting down, it was like two days before it opened. And I'm there Is with that still chef. going? Yeah, well, yeah, it's, oh. just, it's one of those places that's so busy, they don't need right. to do PR, you know? Right. Like, yeah, that's that. So, like, it's just round. Right. And, you know, fairly... I don't know, I won't say that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I'd say it's a machine, a very busy machine. And maybe if you're that busy, you know... Standard slip. It may be, maybe. Can do. Maybe, can do. You can stop giving a shit about suppliers. Yeah, yeah, standard standard can slip. Um, Not saying that specifically about that place. No, I think it's possible. You need to keep a a very close eye. If you're doing massive numbers... And you don't treat your suppliers that well, you know. Maybe standard slipping projects. Mm. So maybe, like, you know, maybe there's a restaurant that's recently opened that we could argue with that about as well. For example, um, well, what sorts of places <laughs> might that happen to? Um, the people who are getting bad PR at the moment, like not Freemasons. Uh, let's move on. Right, so, um, so I'm not sitting there, and I don't know Grace Nathan at all, right? And I've seen him twice, and then once in his pants. Yeah, twice. Once <laughs> exactly. I've never seen. I knew his torso and legs. You quite put well. two and two together there. Yeah. And make, yeah. a, make a naked Jason. That's a whole whole Atherton, a whole nude Atherton. But <laughs> well, actually, he's more nude, as all men are, wearing a top and nothing below the waist. Yeah. You're more nude that way than if you have no clothes on. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's a special kind of nudity. It is. Yeah. yeah. See also nothing but socks. Yeah. It's like the other. Yeah. Well, those Japanese ladies, the um, the ones that were very posh, and they they just showed you tantalising bits of flesh. Oh, um, the, like geisha. Yes, geisha that's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little bit like that, but maybe on a. I saw quite a lot of flesh, but it leaves you like curious about the rest. Maybe a lot of Afton flesh. Yeah, maybe I'll stop there. Um, so I was in Bones Tavern, and this is all about basically making stupid jokes. You shouldn't. Anyway, Jason asked me about it. It was Bones Tavern. Have you been in there? It's the most opulent, crazy. It's just. Like ridiculous, it's, you couldn't get more opulent. Right. Anyway, he came over and he sort of saw me and knew I was just this guy who delivered a bit of fish and I was doing the chef. And he goes, oh, "What do you think of mate?" And I just thought, "I think well, to us, I thought it was going to be a bit more opulent than this." <laughs> <laughs> and you can see it was just two days before opening. And he's like, "This delivery driver doesn't think this is right." What are the? <laughs> and I was like, Man, it was like he didn't get your I, irony. I, yeah, I would say like you know maybe not known for a sense of humour. Well, Jason, maybe he's got a sense of humour. It's it's probably quite dark and him, I guess. He sounds like a funny fucker. He's sort of half nude in his kitchen. I think that's pretty funny. <laughs> if this goes out, I, I mean, we don't survive anymore. Um, yeah, um, so presumably, Atherton aside, I'm not implying I'm talking about Atherton now, but you must have seen and be aware of chefs behaving appallingly. I'll tell you one I haven't really, because we, I think we came in like after the 90s. I think probably delivering in the 90s was pretty interesting, I'd say. Yeah. I would say then, you know... They probably chefs needed a lot of things to keep them going during those long hours, and yeah. I think I imagine there was a lot of erratic behaviour. Myself personally, I think the people we work with, where we came in, and what was the making of us was, um, we came in when just all these guys had worked at Noma. So I think when Adam talked yeah. the other day about this group of guys like James Lowe and Isaac and James Nappett, um, you know, I'm not saying there's any obsessive weirdos in that group, but there might be. <laughs> um, but um, we came in when these guys came back. And I think, no, I've got a lot of negative points to make about Noma, which is incredibly... Like, you're not allowed to do that because like, they're like gods, but I think, there's, I think it's a it's debate. It's right now, isn't it? I think it's a debate. No, it's not about what they do, it's what they do behind the scenes is, you know... I know lots of things. Nothing gets past me. Like, I think I think it's, um, you know... I think having, like... Well, behind I'm, the facade of... I think having 100 people working for free 
and not paying their rent or food or anything and treating them pretty badly is not you know the way I I don't mm. think they should be held as the best restaurant in the world, is my yeah. opinion. Um, that's, you know, not, it's not on, you know, whether you've released that, it's up to you, but I think that needs to be talked about, and I think all that's teaching people is to, you know, take orders in the grade system, and I think that's that, that's something that we just shouldn't encourage. That's so, what you could say, sorry, no, you go. You could, I mean, from, it's, it's from, from, the, from the young chef's point of view, yeah. you could say this is an investment in my career because I get no more on my CV, and yeah. it's an investment I'm willing to make. I'll go and work yeah. for free in a shit condition because I'm going to learn a lot, and... It's on my CV. Yeah, I, I would say, from my tweets, you might think I might slightly right-wing, but I thought I'm about to say you'll see I'm possibly quite socialist, but I would say... Um, it's a circle, though, isn't it, Matt? What it is, is... It's everything's it's in a the circle. Middle, yeah. What I would say is... You're right on the lip of far-right socialism. It, you've got people who are working class who have had... Their only way of getting to working is either just to join a kitchen at the bottom level or go to catering college. I think there's a certain element that if you are living in Copenhagen... I mean, I was there for three days and I was pretty bankrupted I did eat at quite nice restaurants um, <laughs> my second favourite restaurant in the world actually where? Um, Cadu oh, oh man just that just like, just unbelievable in Copenhagen? yeah 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 you just un- un- unreal Cadu with a K yeah. Yeah. yeah Cadu yeah unreal just like for me I just want to be connected I want to be in a restaurant where I is absolutely and utterly connected to its suppliers in a way that's just like I'm now making a yeah, a little sort of house with your fingers. That's lovely, yeah. Very yeah. nice. Um, so, like that. That's sort of Masonic, what you just did there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go, guys. No, um, so, um, what was I going to say? Um, what was I going to say? Cadu. Um, no, so Copenhagen's incredibly expensive. So I was there for three days. Yeah. Um, these guys, from and I... You know, people tell me a lot, I think, because they think yeah. I'll never tell anyone. Um, <laughs> fool them. They obviously um, don't follow you on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I, I consider Instagram myself as a marketing division, and like, I call Twitter my political wing. Right. It's not very PC, but, you know, that's the way I, I do it. Really. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably will think oh, my, I'm quite nice. Yeah. You know, well, like, I follow you on Twitter, and I uh, think you're quite nice as well. Right. But, uh, you know, you're, you're forthright. Forthright, I think um, you have to be. Um, we'll definitely get on to that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, to... so, um, so essentially, I think... These guys are going to um, Copenhagen. They're not being paid money. Um, they are working very long hours. They're not actually seeing service. They're just doing prep. Mm-hmm. So what, how much they're learning. I think they're just being taught how to Chop take orders. Um, um, and you're not being paid for your, your accommodation. Your food's not provided. So you, the only people who can do that for, like, say, two months, I would say are people who've either yeah. saved very hard... Yeah. Or people who've you know got benefactors, yeah. as it were. So I think what it did talk to me was there's a certain level of middle class people who go to Noma for a bit, come in, join a kitchen at a higher level. They're all pretty rubbish, yeah. but you know. But it's I think that's all you know. That's really I mean a lot of people have come in. I reckon there's a hundred of them at Noma at any one time, and a lot of them are in our kitchens. So for me, it just encourages like wealthy kids to maybe get a jump up and I think they're not that good at cooking and I think yeah, that's that's probably affected London quite a lot actually would be my but then I've got a very a chef who is proper old school brigade he's now like one of the most creative best chefs I think he's one of the best chefs in the world becoming very friendly he would argue it's a brilliant way for people to learn and they should learn discipline you know so I, I see two sides of it but to just for you know to I mean he's going to get the number one restaurant in the world that guy that's what he wants to do and he's doing it I think by you know doing amazing stuff and without him, we wouldn't be where we were because all these chefs came back obsessed with produce. Yeah. So we, you know, without him, we wouldn't be where we are. 
but I do think it needs to be debated. I think everything needs to be debated. So to faintly go there and just say that he's a food god, I I don't like his. I feel system. that era's sort of passed, hasn't it? I think I think people are more willing to take a swing at Noma, but I I would say probably people agree and uh, sort of ignore that side of it. I did it the other day the on Twitter thing. and I got pretty. You know, I, I had to delete what I did because it really? got pretty. Yeah, it got like, how dare you? And then I DM'd them and I actually... From Noma? Them, from no, no, I, I included Noma on the tweet. Right. I was like, you know. And then I, someone else had just... Someone on, oh, I think, possibly playing the identity politics a bit, I think they, they're like, you know, they're sort of... I, I'll talk about it, definitely talk about this later on. I'll definitely put identity okay, politics. Identity politics, Absolutely gender politics. Absolutely, yeah, gender, identity. Um, just put politics. Um... We're gonna, I mean, we're gonna well, have to. And race, ticks, race ticks through. will come in as well. Ticks, like, ticks, like, like little, parasites. Yeah, yeah they'll come in. Okay, so parasites. Ticks. Parasites <laughs> slash ticks. Okay. You, you made a very rash decision yesterday. Like I said, you probably don't ever want to see me because I, I might be a bit horrible. And then we you said, should, we I'm should, just regretting going as big there. as we went. Let, let's go there. Let's go where where this started to get you on today. Yeah, I say yeah. So basically. When Noma came in, all the chefs came from Noma and they suddenly wanted to know their produces. Just at that time, we arrived. We were the only people at that time. Because I was such a terrible middleman, I thought getting chefs and supplies together was a good thing. So I took a load of chefs to Cornwall. All started by Tom Adams. Todd Adams is the absolute genesis of everything we do, actually. Do you call him Phil Collins? (laughs) (laughs) I call him Blondie, which is like... That's my way of saying... I don't care about you, mate. You know, I don't, yeah, know I don't care. Do. I don't care what you do in life. I'm going to call you probably because, yeah. like, you know, that's what I do. But really, I'm like, we owe a lot. We owe a lot to that guy. Yeah. <laughs> we owe a lot to him. Um, and he's now got a corner. He's going to play for my own cricket team. That's the circle. Oh, nice. That's the circle. Can I play? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He paused there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, no, but you know, there's a lot to there's a lot. <laughs> team. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, just, I would do a cricket team. You guys, are, no, I wouldn't play football because I'm 45. Um, All right, let's do hard cut back to yesterday. Yeah. Twitter. Yeah. So basically, I did what I usually do. Didn't really think. Got emotional. Um, saw someone. There was that George guy actually, um, and I will talk about him because I, I I saw his nemesis yesterday last night, and I'm I'm a little I'm pretty up against you know angry. You about saw it. his nemesis. Well, I saw the guy that he's basically bullying on Twitter without actually ever meeting the guy, and I think it. it needs Who's to, that? Um, to, uh, Clark and my boy. Yeah. And I think I've been doing this for ten years now, eight years in London. And what I've seen a lot is journalists who want to get there pretty quickly. And I've seen it, I reckon, four times where they realise there's someone who's quite well known who they can have a pop at because everyone wants to have a pop at them. And they know it's perfectly safe. And what they do is have an absolute pop at that guy or lady. Um, that's not the gender pool. <laughs> like, guy or lady. Know, guy or lady. <laughs> <laughs> gender, you go. We've got gender politics. And he is actually utterly having a pop at this guy. Yeah. Who, and when you've done this for eight years, I've seen like... We can name... It's Clark and my boy. Yeah, it's Clark and my boy. Yeah. And when he does this for eight years, I've seen probably four journalists who've ended up doing very well, but they start. They seem to start their career by having a go at someone who yeah. everybody else wants... You know, punching up. Punching up. And then... And I essentially think it's bullying, you know? And I think I saw Clark and my boy last night, and I think... Did he's you talk aware about it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because I said, I'm doing this tomorrow. Are you OK if I have a chat about it? I said, I've sort of been defending you. He said, look, to us, I don't actually, you know, I know it's happening, but I'm not, you know. I thought it was quite a major response. I've so. met him, he's a nice guy. He's I a like very him. nice guy. Yeah. And I think, um, so for me, it's it's just not a nice way of trying to do He's a clever writer, he's a brilliant writer. What he's actually doing is being quite libelous. So I wouldn't say he's a good journalist because he's not, take, you know, and I think people in the industry have actually online saying, look, you need to maybe check your facts because you're 
you're, you're walking into libel territory here. Well, what he's, I think what he's saying, well, I know what he's saying, is that there's a lot of um, these Insta influencers yeah. um, getting invited to places or worse, getting actually yeah. paid for coverage yeah. and they're not declaring it. And that yeah. is unethical. Absolutely. I don't think we yeah. can but dispute. I think in the States, you know, that's it's illegal now to do that. And I think it should come here. As far as I know, he's never been paid for anything. He's been paid for trips and things like that. I think then he would say it. Um, we've been, when you sort of do something, you, when I started, it was just when, you know, it was an exciting time in London where Twitter was happening and bloggers were happening and, and they were like the new heroes and, but they're all friends of mine. I used to do events and they used to, you know, they used to come to all of them. So they're, they're like my, what would you call it? My generation or my... Yeah. Peers. Peers. They're my peers. And, and we've all grown up together. We've all worked like dogs. And now we all look after each other. I think one thing is quite amazing about all working together is as you get more successful or bigger, you, you look after each other because mm. you're friends and you trust each other. And that's... You know, but so are you saying... Is there, is there not something to be said, which I don't know the specifics of this, apart from the point of the slightly unethical thing of not declaring these invite things, etc. But is there not something to be said that a new generation comes along and, yeah, they piss off the people who were there before. Uh, yeah, they yeah. take their pot yeah. shots and the idea that because this generation came along before and they're all very comfortable and they're all buddy-buddy, then I, I would say there's something to be said for saying, do you know what, fuck that. Not not just yeah. the people involved yeah. or your generation, I just mean in any situation. Would you say more than... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think yeah, disruption and, you know, I think that's fine. Um, I think the point yesterday was... I think you've got someone I think is trying to... Like I said, what well, the point I made was, and to be honest, I said it, I'd said it directly to his tweet when he sent out, and I did it last week. When I sent it, I just said, look, you need to... You, need to, you know, I'm hearing a lot of bad things about journalists for you, Jess, and I mean, I, I've got a very lot of negative things to say about them, and I will do that, definitely. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> shafting shafting well, you two. We're on that now, Shaft- so let's talk about that now. Yeah, so basically, I think... With the... When I had the pub, probably did like, and I I delivered for like six years, and then did the pub for two years, and there was never a stop. And I just because I was so obsessed, I didn't think about the outside world at all, and I just was like every day get up just to, you know, mm-hmm. and I just totally forgot what was happening in terms of politics like for eight years, and I suddenly woke like woke up one day and the pub had ended, and it was like oh shit we've we've done Brexit and we've got Trump. I'm like oh Christ how did that happen like what you know I've missed it and I just found. And the pub, one of the favourite things about the pub, I say the best, was that on Monday nights the whole Panorama team would come in. And so slowly they, I was waking up to those, these incredibly brave people who were like, you know, they came in after the Panama Papers when they brought down, I think, the Icelandic PM. And I'm like, and they came in, the guy who did it was there. And I'm like, these guys are out there just, mm. like, you know, risking everything for what they believe in. And I, and I sort of thought, Christ, man, I've just ignored everything. So, so I then moved on to my little houseboat, and I think... For, I. You know, I'm single, and I've... This is an advert, by the way. Um, I'm single, <laughs> single and have no children. Um, so I just have plenty of spare time. What are your What are your uh, hobbies? Well, my hobby has been... My butcher asked me the other day, so, like, what, what do you actually do? And I said, like, I hope you in London, obviously. Um, and my other thing is, I probably spend five or six hours every day reading, watching podcasts, looking at what... My, you've got to remember, my atheist, I want to help farmers and now fishermen. <coughs> and... I'm very incredibly got obsessed with what's happening in America. I want to know why did people vote Trump? What actually happened? And through that, it's given me, I would say, incredible insight into what is heading our way in the next yeah. two, three. And I, and I, these things are happening now. Things I'm going on Twitter and getting lively about is because they happened in America like 18 months ago, and it's coming our way. So I'm almost, you know, 
predicting the future, really. That's quite a statement. Okay, canary. I'm going to write down predicting the future here, but let's go back to food journalists and, and what So, yeah, so wrong. basically, so what I've seen, like, fundamentally, and I think I've always tinted already, I'm fairly naturally socialist, um, with, there's bits of capitalism I think are great, bits of it are terrible. Um, but what I would say is what we have in food journalists at the moment is um, a very powerful guardian observer. And I would say it's incredibly hard to make money from journalism these days. So I would say The Guardian, and I've, I've spoken to Joe, I've actually had an interesting conversation last night with someone who's called me grandiose, which, coming from that person, is quite an interesting... Um, I've tried, and it's, you know, for him to call me grandiose when I'm just trying yeah. to answer his points is pretty amazing. <laughs> Was <laughs> this on Twitter, or...? It's on email, so... Right. It's all there. Right. Yeah, that man does not stand down. Well, I think... So, basically, I would say... There's my starting again. Right, I can't like do that. Um, so, we have an incredible left-wing bias from our, you know... The, food journalism the, the, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I would say 30 London food journalists, and I would say, even if you haven't got a left-wing bias... And when I say left-wing, I'm pretty very ideological left, I think, sort of people who really, like, you know, identity politics and all... And I'll talk about where I, you know, I'm not... Definitely not... I don't see gender or sex. I just see people, really. And I try to base people... I'll be, are people dicks or not, is my general. Yeah. You know, and that's, you know, and I don't care who, you know... Our thing in ruling chefing is... Are you going to be successful and have you got empathy? And if you've got those two, then we would very much... We would do everything we can to make you work with us. Is, is there not an argument that um, empathy... You know, food, hospitality, cooking uh, are quite empathetic things. They're quite sort of um, heart-driven as opposed to head-driven, which is also tends to be more left-wing-leaning. Um, so uh, it's sort of self-selectingly I, left-wing food generally. Yeah, I'd say in the... Oh, yeah, okay, into food channels. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, so I'm, yeah, I'm saying. So what I'm saying is, right, I'm just, right, I, I want to, I think we're the most dangerous time ever in terms of rural economy and fishing and farming, and we need to make the right decisions now or else we will have no future. And the point you touched upon earlier was, basically, the elephant in the room is small farmers are having a terrible time and they're getting pressure from rewilding, veganism, the environment, and it's becoming that farmers cannot afford to retire. So normally... You'd retire, your son and daughter would take over. That is not happening now. People are having to guts it out. They can't afford to sell the farm. And the kids are just losing interest and going off. So that is the big elephant room is we are coming to a stage where all our farmers are going to get it's going to sell out. They're going to be bigger. And you're going to get a stage where we're going to have bigger and bigger farms, efficiency. But with efficiency comes a less and less interest in the, um, the lives of cattle, I think. And that's where the movement's heading. So... But we have an incredible bias. Now, I'm not, again, I'm more left-wing than right-wing, but all I'm trying to deal in is facts. And the facts are, I've looked around the world, and, like, in, um, say, um, very liberal countries, very, you know, like, say, you know, um, Sweden, mm-hmm. you know, I look at what happens when you get a very left-wing press, and I've looked at what's happening in New York and those places. So what's happening is the pressures are... People aren't really reading facts, but they're going with the flow, and they're going with what they think. So at the moment we have people who are unquestionably looking at veganism and that I think is one of the major issues and the reason I've fallen out with a couple of very high profile food journalism is I think they're pushing very much the vegan agenda without actually knowing the facts and purely going veganism by watching say Cowspiracy which is one of the most one-sided terrible documentaries I've ever seen without knowing the facts you are essentially unwittingly putting vegans straight up against farmers and there are now farmers getting death threats mm. and butchers are getting death threats. And so I've... I've the seen, irony. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so in America, it's now a massive thing where, and well, it started off in you know like the Scandinavian countries where, and I spoke to a guy from Scandinavia the other day, and he said like, you know, very routinely, you know, uh, anything to do with the meat industry is firebombed, is attacked, and it's a, you know it's now so difficult, um, and. It's been happening in America a long time. I don't know if you've heard the story about the guy who had like 40 vegans camped outside his restaurants. So he ended up getting fed up and then <laughs> butchering an animal right in front of them. She <laughs> got huge. So, what is coming our way is in all our politics at the moment, there's no central ground. It's lots, what's the word for when it's binary? No, 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 no. I'm not talking about binary. We're not talking about binary. No, but, you know, no, yeah, okay, so, was, you so know. it's basically. There's no, there's no middle ground. So, at the moment, you've got our food journalists unwittingly just because it's trendy to say vegan, because the Guardian's pushing it, and I think because people think if I say different, I might not get freelance work. That's my general feeling. So you have to, if you came out and said anything different, that, that's my feeling, and I think I've seen that, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that's happening. I think there's a huge left wing influence. I think they're unwittingly, blindingly looking at documentaries that I think are funded by pretty dodgy characters in, in America. And it's making people think that veganism is the way forward. So for me, it's purely looking at, I don't care if people are left wing or right wing, all I care about is the future of farming. And if, that, if it goes like that, and the environmental issue, the environment people are, is taken over by people who have no in- empathy towards farmers. Like the rewilding is fascinating because it's been taken over by a lot of, you know, very sort of high and mighty um, ex-eaten types who just want to forest the whole area and they don't want to listen to people so basically it's all been taken by people with strong ideologies and they're just not communicating so what I'm trying to do is make people meet in the middle and I'm saying right we have to debate we have to open debate and I did fall out with one person she blocked me on Twitter she once gave me Maverick of the Year title in a couple of years ago but I said maybe is this a, a possible restaurant critic of yes the, yeah. and, um, and I suggested friend of the podcast too yeah. oh, oh really I mean amazing I think she, Amazing person. I think one of my, you know, incredible. So it's upset me slightly that this has happened, but um, I think I just suggested... If, they did a, a programme for radio, or the BBC something, and it was farmers are running scared from vegans. And I, knowing what I know, what's happening in America, what's happening in Scandinavia, I said, I think rather than try and pull people apart and make them fight, pulling apart and fighting, that's yeah. different, OK? Let's have debate, go and meet some smallholders, try and... When I said smallholder, she actually made a, a penis joke. Which, I was like, you know, and then, and then blocked me on Twitter. I was like, oh, Christ. Okay. Um, anyway, so for me, we've got to start communicating. The biggest issue we have on this planet is people are getting so disparate in their views and no one's talking. Mm. And people like Brexit is an absolute amazing case. People just aren't listening. And you can tell people Brexit was a terrible decision or you want, but they're just like, we're not listening. Because you, know, cause you don't know why we voted Brexit. These people are like, you're stupid to vote Brexit. And, and that's nobody's talking to each other. We'll, we'll get on to Brexit. Just yeah. on the farming thing, um, I mean, when anything evolves, there tends to be the corollary that a certain group of people get left behind, whether, yeah. you know, the Luddites, etc., yeah. and on and on yeah. and on. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I, it going, yeah. it, say the whole country goes vegan overnight. Yeah, well, I, that's, I, that's not the end of farming because we no, need well, to grow some food. What I would say now is, and this is, I'm, because I've seen the future. You know, pretty amazing. You know, <laughs> that like, is a good trick. I mean, that's my special skill. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, in terms of superheroes, it's yeah. quite a good one. Nostradamus of Cornwall. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, now, what I'm going to say now, I think, is the most important thing ever. Because what I've done now is we... I've, I'm very much into the teachings of Alan Savory. And Alan Savory is a Zimbabwean guy 
you know, I know white middle-aged men aren't, you know, the rig at the moment, but he's basically was in charge of the nature reserves in um, in Zimbabwe. How long have we got, by the way? You, uh... No, we're fine. Sorry, someone's calling me. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Quite popped early, isn't it? Chef late, presumably. No. That's bloody tableware supplier. <laughs> um, so basically, Alan Savory, um, he was in charge of all the nature reserves in Zimbabwe, and he read some certain reading, and he felt that it, everything was basically overgrazing, overgrazing. So he made a decision to kill forty thousand elephants. Okay, he's now, and he loves elephants. He's now, you can tell when you look. He's a podcast. Forty thousand. Forty thousand. His idea: if we're going to stop overgrazing, you know, did you say there's a podcast about it? There's a TED talk. Is it on a podcast? Um, Just because there's a little jingle we could play. Yeah, yeah. No, there's a podcast refuting it from a vegan. Right. Yeah. And then that's been refuted. Dis- disputing but that refute it. hasn't been refuted, which is quite interesting. <sighs> Absolute circle of refutation going yeah. on here. Yeah, well, yeah. It's a linear, that's line. But, well, no, it's like, it's a li- um, so basically, what he, so you've got a man who loves his animals, he's made a decision because he thought it was about the country, and basically mm. the biggest issue in the world in terms of global warming, the actual biggest issue is... Elephants. We've got huge <laughs> amounts of carbon locked in the soil. That's, you know, soil is organic matter, that is carbon locked in the soil. When you get diversification of things, when you basically s- deserts crunch in... All that carbon is released in the soil, from into the air. What everybody's felt is the reason we've got all this, you know, desert happening, and you know, this is happening across a third of the planet. The third of the planet. This, I did an environmental degree, by the way, so that's right. why. Yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm on fairly, you know, it was 25 years ago, so a lot, a lot might have changed since then, but um, I've got one. Um, so basically, that is our biggest issue: is as soil gets destroyed. It releases carbon, and they felt this was overgrazing. He's now done huge amounts of research. It was a terrible decision. He's had to live with it, and you can see on his TED talk, you're talking, you're talking with a pained man who's made, and that's people I quite like who've made a huge mistake, and then they're like, they're spending the rest of their life trying to think. So now his views, and Prince Charles has just supported him. His view is that the only future, only way of re reversing climate change, and I'm not, I'm not going to go hook line and sink on this because that's, I'm then. The, the joining the ideological people that yeah. I'm, I'm trying to go against. This guy's saying, look at what the bison did, or buffalo, um, through North America. They had like 30-mile square packs of buffalo. And what they did was they had predators behind them. They were slowly moving forward. Also, they didn't want to eat on their own pee and poo. Um, I've already been swearing like a trooper. Yeah. I'm not even saying... Yeah, they got very polite. I'm not speaking to like two-year-old. Wee-wee and poo-poo. Yeah, um... And basically, they naturally move forward. And basically now, what they're looking at is copying that style of farming, which is, okay, you move forward, and it's called mob grazing. And as you move forward, the, the grass behind it sprouts up, and when it does that, it catches huge amounts of carbon. And there's ways you can farm. You basically make the growing of plants capture huge amounts of carbon and join it into the soil matter. So they're now big, really big movement behind the scenes, and it's not been reported on, but it's holistic farming. So it's basically using... A mixture of arable is using a mixture of um, cattle and it's using like chickens, all sorts to basically what he's saying is maybe mob grazing, mass grazing is the only way of reversing global warming because we need to get all the carbon, we need to keep the carbon in the soil in the first place and we need to get new carbon in the soil. And I've been now, if you do look at my Instagram, <coughs> my sales and marketing division, you'll notice that I've been spending a lot of time with incredibly progressive, forward thinking farmers. And for me, if you follow the vegan debate, what you end up doing, you're supporting a monoculture farming system that is basically just reliant on fertiliser, reliant on 
chemicals and it's killing the soil, it's releasing carbon in the soil. We need to have a debate. And I'm not going to fall around the savior here at Sinker, but I'm now meeting these farmers, I'm meeting some really super intelligent people who incredibly obsessive but really super intelligent. I've now met two farmers who are just light years ahead of anyone. I'm meeting a female farmer tomorrow who's maybe the best mob grazer in the country, seeing her tomorrow. You know, I think in this day and age you have to mention you're seeing men and women because it's just a, I think it's just, yeah, but she's amazing. Yeah. She sounds incredible. So I'm so excited about that tomorrow. Um, and I've just realised I've got to cancel meetings. <laughs> it's a government Should cancel I write that down? T- <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 cancel meetings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so, so basically, there is a debate that has to be had. Prince Charles, bit of a nutter in lots of ways, but when it comes to environment, like I think absolutely spot on. And he's, he came out recently and supported Alan Savory. So we need to have a debate. I now, I now don't think veganism is the way to save planet. I think it's going to destroy it. It's monoculture. It's not perennial crops. We need to get things that keep that soil and get organic matter built up across the planet. And we're not going to do that with veganism because that's monoculture. Soy is but can like, you not graze veganly? Um, I think it's just the most efficient way of doing it. I actually, you know, no, the other thing is looking at the, say, carbon balance. Cattle produce like methane because they're ruminants. And, but the balance of what you put in the soil is far more. What I'm now looking at, now there's a guy, I go on about him. I say the lardo rice dish in Smoking Goat is mm. the most famous, it's the most important dish yeah. in London. I've seen you had. say that. And the reason I say it is, there's a guy called Fred who's down in Somerset, incredible farmer. Like he's an animal farmer, so he's got 800 acres. <clears throat> Took over from his parents. So very important to me, people who are actually taking over farms because he's incredibly brave and everything is against them. Um, he started off by becoming the most perfect animal farmer. Chemicals everywhere, yield, and he just found he was putting more on and yield was getting stagnant. So he was just like putting all his money. It was high input agriculture and he was like, this is crazy. And I met him through Tom Adams. And what we now Blondie. <laughs> Blondie. Phil Collins. <laughs> Phil Collins. Um, so um, Tom has introduced him. And now because we've got a natural, we've sort of kept out people who haven't got much empathy. And we've now got like a, a, an empathy protection circle where if you end up being introduced to us all, it's because one one person who's nice says this person's not. You know, it's just quite amazing. Mm. So if you haven't got in, then, you know, we don't think you're nice. Um, it's quite clearly. Um, so it's a bit naughty, isn't it? Um, anyway, so the met this farmer and what he is doing now is he's just obsessed with soils. He's the first soil sniffer I met. You go meet him. You'll be, he goes around the spade, shows you different soils. And what he's showing is basically a holistic farming system where now he's using tamworths. And what's incredibly interesting about tamworths is if you use a herbal lay, so we're using 26 different um, things in a, you know, different grass types in a thing. Right. Everything is in there, all the nutrients they need to grow and get big. So what we have done before is we use cereals to make animals really big. Cereals aren't part of their diet. They're doing it in America. The farm system in America is absolutely disgusting. The feedlot system is just basically... Which cereals, like cornflakes? Um, it's corn, yeah, corn. Coca Pops. Well, corn and wheat. Wheat a bit. Corn and wheat. Don't, don't bring Crunchy nut cornflakes don't the Don't bring to this. Special treat. <laughs> <coughs> Got to have really cold I, milk, I've though. stupidly taken up the smoke at the age of 45, so sorry for the cough. Did you? Yeah, let's not bring humor into this part, all right? Come all right, on. sorry. Like, um, come on. <coughs> just trying to lighten the I'm, mood, mate. I'm not Mr. Funny now. Okay. Um, so... So essentially... Good grass for fat pigs. So basically, what is absolutely incredible is everybody thinks pigs want to dig. The reason pigs dig is they've got a very sensitive nose, same with cattle. Cattle and sheep, pigs naturally know what nutrients they need to make the big. So if you put at least cattle into a field after the winter break, 
they will always go for the hedgerows, always. If the hedgerows, the soil under a hedgerow is, that's been there for centuries, all the stuff growing is just absolutely nutrient-rich. So a cow always goes for that, so they naturally know. If you've just got grass, pure one crop, there's not enough there, so you then need to give them cereals to give them what they need to farm. If you do a herbal lay, you have maybe rich in chicory. Chicory provides protein, it also naturally anti-worms it. Chicory provides the, and then all the different, you know, if you've got 26 different crops, you've also got roots going down, building, taking nutrients. Mm. And what's happening in the soil, if you just put fertilizer in, pesticide, it kills everything. But what is happening in the soil is everything in life. It's like that is, I now get what the soil associates are on about. Right. I think they're pretty terrible these days, but I, I get the fundamental message that the soil is everything. We need to get carbon in there. And if you've got carbon in it, then every, all these weird things happen, all these little different microbes and everything really happens. and and then, you know, so, but with the pig, what's really interesting is these Tamworth, he's now got a herbal lay, he's now cutting six crops a year to feed them in the winter, and when they're outside, they don't dig, they're just eating, and they're munching. And pigs are very interesting because they're not ruminants. A ruminant's got six stomachs. Mm. I thought it was four. Maybe four. <laughs> Some, you know. A lot. We, in Cornwall, <laughs> Too got, many. In Cornwall, they've got six. Like, um, no, four, maybe four. Um, we, so now, on Joe Rogan, I've got guys fat checking all this. Fact. Jamie not fat checking. Yeah. <laughs> not fat checking, fact checking. Uh, yeah, we don't have right, it. It's I'm four right. stomachs. Yeah, let's go for. Um, one of them's called the rumen. Yeah. I remember right, that. Right, okay, okay. Pigs have only got one. So basically, cows are chewing the curd, and that's when the methane comes out. Um, pigs haven't got that. So basically, you've got pigs are like. When from? Four. Four. Four stomachs. Yeah. What about Cornish pigs? Or Cornish <laughs> cows? <laughs> like, um, Two extra. So basically, my sort of hunch is. By using holistic farming. So now he's now putting hardly any fertiliser onto his cereals because they're doing holistic farming. They're getting the pigs and they're getting all these systems to put that in. So firstly, what holistic farming is showing is that we need less pesticides and less chemicals. And his yields of basically low input means he's putting hardly any money in and he's now making a lot more money because he's not spending it on thing, on soils and chemicals. The, the two points taken from today, well, several, but in this sense, what I'm talking about now are... Is holistic farming a way to reverse global warming? And I'm not saying it is, but it needs to be debated. So mm-hmm. vegans just are threatening to firebomb butchers is right. not debating. That's like, we are fixing our opinion. We yeah. think we're right. We would kill you, potentially, yeah. because we don't agree. I'm saying, let's maybe not do that. Mm. Maybe let's have a talk about it. Maybe, yeah. like, you know, that's my thing. Um, and if we're wrong, we're wrong. If, if veganism is the way to save this planet, I'll do it. You're on board. I, but I suspect it's not. But right. we need to debate. And the second point is, uh, I've actually forgotten that now. Let me just have a little. Uh, let me just look my... at the list. Parasites, ticks. <laughs> right, no. um... The second point is, um, is oh, that's it. This is really important. George Reynolds just stopped bullying Gargamel Boy. <laughs> the Devon Project. Um, the most important, the, the, thing, the single thing we can do now to absolutely reverse what's happening is, at the moment, because we're using monoculture agriculture, we have to feed cattle cereals to get them fat. In his farming system, he's not using cereals to get animals fat. And if you look at why, I went yesterday, um, two days ago, to see a guy who's farming, farming Longhorn in Oxford. He's now moving to Devon, brilliantly. He's using, he's using purely grass. I'll now show you a picture of a cow. How many yeah. stomachs does this cow have? He's got four. This is this not a Cornish one. Uh, <laughs> I just like to know what I'm looking at. Yeah. So that's a longhorn bull. That's never, ever had a cereal in its life. It's two years old, and it's an absolute monster, and it's got wow. fat purely on 
grass. This that is would a, gore you. That would go do you properly. <laughs> that's a finishing steer. That's got no grass ever and is two years old. That'll be very ready to eat in six, about a year's time. Never eaten cereal. So what I'm saying is... Can we put in an order now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which bit would you like? <coughs> um, so what I'm saying is... stomach, please. So what, four of them. so what I'm saying is the... That's like one of those people you don't want to listen or debate, isn't it? What I'm saying is... I'm now hitting the table like you said not to. Um, You've been very good. Right. So what I'm saying is... I've got a friend who's got 800 acres of cereals in Hertfordshire. And it's grown on the world food system. It's wheat for animal production. The majority of wheat grown in this country is for fattening animals. Holistic farming instantly makes that land able to transfer to food for people. Right. So in a little nano, so just like, remember that thing about when Bono did that? Yeah. Every time I, <laughs> I think it's a fake story, but every time I click my fingers, a child in Africa dies. Stop fucking clicking that. <laughs> um, <coughs> so, so I think... I've been good on about this for, on Twitter for ages and ages, and I think the state of food journalism in this country is... I've been rude to them, I don't expect them to talk to me, but I sort of think maybe you ought to, like, maybe... Mm. This could be the future of the planet we're talking about, and maybe what we're doing is, like, quite interesting, and maybe, like, in London, maybe you should be more connected. I think the thing... Do you Brexit, think you'd get further if you were a bit less confrontational? I basically have a plan, and my plan is very firmly in place, and I'm at the point where I don't really need... The food journalist, um, you know, it's going to happen anyway. I've been very ambitious since Brexit. I came up with a marketing phrase, which if I said in Cornwall, they'd probably kill me. But I said there's no glass ceiling now, so I've sort of just thought, right, we've just got to go for it, and I'm just going to come up with an idea. And I think we've come up with the idea, and I think I think it's a pretty good one, and I think it could really help. And I don't really, you know, I gave every. I wasn't very nice about because I had a pub and. The reason I didn't really like it is I had to be nice to people. I just couldn't be. To get it busy, I had to be creep around people who I just had no respect for, and it, that sort of really hurt. You know, I just couldn't do it, and I, right. just, I just can't. It's one of those weird, you know, like, I just can't do it. So and, let's um, talk about um, Brexit, because yeah. you I th- said... Yeah, so I, I think believe- Brexit's really, really nice. So why would like Brexit? And this is where I think the big issue with free Jones, and I, I have empathy for them, right? A lot of them are friends. Well, they were. <laughs> <laughs> They won't start until you started haranguing them yeah, on Twitter. So, yeah. so for me, there's such a hatred of Brexit in London. And I, I totally understand why. I, I, I voted Remain. I which, which one? Remain. Yeah. I voted Remain. I wouldn't know, but I hate that. You but wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't know, no. Absolutely categorically not. And I, I can explain why not. It's not because I'm some... You know, I, I can explain why, and I think it's quite sensible, actually. I think we all ought to, actually, because I think it's... All right, well, yeah. here's your platform. So, but what I would say is, because everybody's so anti, everybody just, you know, and I can totally understand why. It's, it is a crazy thing, you know, we're leaving this big thing. I actually don't think we will leave it. Anyway, I think all food writers have put farmers and fishermen into the Brexit camp. I think, in a way, they think, because it's so polarised, polarised polarized is the word mm. I was looking for. Because they're so polarised, people are just naturally hating anyone they think is on the other side. So I think in food journalists are very much like you lot got us into this. Pro- you know, you're the one who voted. And they're so. What I realise is like most farmers probably didn't vote. They, you know, they just not everyone. But Cornwall voted leave. But this is. You know, I, mean, I had this fight. The same chat we discussed earlier on. You know, Cornwall voted fifty-three and a half to forty-six and a half. So it's not like we were crazy, mm-hmm. right? And the reason Cornwall voted leave was 
we've been European funded for 20 years, so five lots of um, structured funding. Probably the last first three lots was match funding, so you had to be very wealthy, you had to show, give half the money first to show you, how, you know, say you wanted to, the first lot of funding basically went to farmers who have got barns, right. and they wanted to diversify farming. So essentially they wanted us to stop farming, or lessen it, and that's basically what's happened. You either do loads of wheat, and we'll pay you to do that, or you stop doing beef and lamb, and we'll pay you to do that, but I'm giving you money to do something else. That's essentially what happened. Um, and so a lot of people have barns, they would give you, if you wanted to recondition the barn to make it self-catering, say it cost you 200 grand, you had to have 100,000 pounds, prove you had it, and then they would give you 100,000 pounds. So it was very elitist in that form. So right. you've got a lot of people in Cornwall who are already poor as shit, which is one of the, you know, the poorest areas in Europe, that's why it got the funding. And money was from us anyway, we put the money into Europe, so it wasn't like Europe sure. went, yeah, yeah, you know, so that's fun. So I think you've got to see it from the core point of view that that money never really trickled down to the people who really needed it. And the last lot of funding, strange enough, did. The last lot of funding was, by then, it was really brilliant. It really got to the right places. I mean, my friend Adam's now head of Cornwall County Council, so I, you know, I'm pretty au fait with, you know... Sort of so you feel predominantly those who voted Leave were the ones who felt they, they weren't getting the benefits? Absolutely, yeah. And I think the reason people voted Leave, you can say whatever you want. Robert Peston did a talk, did a, an LBC interview. Well, I don't listen to LBC, but I call it London Shouty Radio. I know the, the lettering isn't quite like that. But yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like just lots of people shouting. Um, but Robert Peston did a talk on that, and essentially what he said was um, the London elite, and he talked about London elite, um, I totally lost touch with what the people were thinking and basically Brexit was totally and utterly a vote against austerity. They had 10 years of absolute, mm. you know, being shut on and they felt there was nothing, nothing was ever going to get better. Under our present political system with Europe there, our government here, life was getting worse and I don't think they could see it ever getting better under that. So it was totally and utterly a, um, a vote against that and there may be parts of the country did it for immigration and those things, maybe. But I would say, by and large, certainly people I talk to in Cornwall, is they were just, they never thought it was going to get better. And they know it's not now, but it's like, it's almost like, you know, right London, we've had it bad for 10 years, you're getting some now. Just flip over the table. Yeah, it was. And, but, it, you know, they know it's going to be bad for them, but they're like, how bad can it get? That's really what the mentality is like. Can't get any worse, so might as well sh- and, yeah. shake shit up. So when, like, well. I was down in Cornwall when the crash happened, I just bought a house. And that wasn't the worst first time. I'd just done it up. And it was, I luckily sold it two weeks before it happened. But I, the estate agent sort of said, look, it's not the price you wanted, but like, I would sell it because there's something weird. And I was like, okay. And then obviously when yeah. and Cornwall was just hit like a rock. I had a girlfriend at the time, um, amazingly. And she worked in Plymouth and on the high street, she's like a beauty therapist, like if you can probably tell. Um, <laughs> like, and um, I'm now looking at myself. Um, and... She, um, Plymouth was just overnight, half the shop shut. Cornwall, half the shop shut. It was decimated, absolutely decimated. And it was shot. I came back to London basically because it was so depressing down there. And London was like it wasn't here. You go there and everyone was mm. drinking on Friday, and it was like if nothing had happened. London was not affected by austerity in any way, shape. Like you can't imagine, mm. you just can't. It was horrendous. And that's never really picked up. So people are like, so the funniest thing is when the first thing about Brexit, the people who want to say remain, one of the things they say is like the city will leave London. And the people in the countryside are like, Don't give a shit. they're the people who cause this and not a single person has ever been arrested. Yeah. No one's ever gone to prison. No one's been done. And straight away, they will start giving bonuses and now want us to be upset that they're leaving. It's like, yeah. how? 
So when remains say things like that, it's like you do, you have no idea what that perception is in the country. So it's just so there's such a disconnect. And that, that's my main thing is you need to start understanding why people vote Brexit. You need to reach out to them. So when I see food journalists in London... Well, so instead, I, I, I'm, yeah, we can talk, you can debate, yeah, yeah, Instead yeah. of picking over the corpse of Brexit, I'd yeah. rather talk about why you think it's going to be a good thing for farming. Um, I think I think for farming... Um, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's a good thing, not at all. I think what I'm... My policy has been... I think we've got absolutely horrific government. I think they're self-serving. And I've been to number two at DEFRA. I've taken my little march there and I've spoken to him and... You know, I'll politely say I think they've got a lot on their plate. I could say unpolitely that I think they have absolutely no interest in the rural economy whatsoever. And my hypothesis is... So what I'm trying to base it on, like I've said before, I'm a bit lefty, but I think when you have a huge number of left-wing journalists, I'm just looking at what's happened elsewhere in the Mm. world and what does that mean for fishing the farmers. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying this is what's happened elsewhere. How do I predict the future to try and help fishermen and farmers? So, for me, I'm basing it on the fact that this government's going to cock it all up. I'm basing the fact that we might remain, might not. So I'm trying to come up with a way that doesn't really matter if we do if we leave or not. Like, Because I just don't think... I think there's very powerful forces on both sides. I think the forces for remain are a lot more powerful. I think there'll be a huge amount more money behind that. There's some really nasty, big... You know, when, when Tony Blair and... Alistair Campbell back in the game. I marched every single march against um, the Iraqi war. I remember what those liars those guys are. When they come out and start supporting Remain, I'm like, there's powerful people helping. You know, they, they don't do anything. It's, when you're on their side, you know, dear Peter Stringfellow died today. <laughs> he was another... But, sorry, yeah. still, yeah. why is it that you would vote Leave if there's a the re- referendum the on the, the absolute, referendum? The absolute reason I would vote Leave now is um, I think our political system is not democratic at all anymore. I think... And it's especially true of farming, they've hidden behind Europe. So you've got Europe making all these decisions, you've got our government basically not accountable. They're basically saying it's Europe's vote. And it may it may not be, it may be, but we need to sort out our own democratic policy in the first place. We need to make sure our politics are serving us. And by having this Europe thing, it's so easy to say it's them. So basically with farming, a lot of it is our government to sort out, but they always say it's Europe. And you're a farmer, like... You can't just write a letter to Europe. It's like, no one's accountable. <clears throat> They're not... You just feel so far removed. We need to sort out our politic- political system where we don't vote in self-serving, pretty evil, nasty people who aren't doing the will of the people. They're doing it for their own friends. And I I know from pretty good experience that we've got a pretty self-serving lot. In but how will, how will leaving Europe stop that happening? Um, I, I think, for me, it's like... I don't know if it will, but I think if we carry on like we are, it's going to get worse and worse because we're going to get worse politicians, we're going to get... Um, and it's, you know, I think we need to have a strong democracy in this country before we can then get into Europe. I sort of think also... I sort of don't think Europe wants us. I think we've put a block on everything. I think they want to go in a certain direction. And I don't think... They haven't really been reaching out to us, do you think? Like, I think they're sort of quite... Well, they can't because, you know, any any sort of form of appeasement will just make it easier for other countries well, to... Maybe, or maybe if they did say we will change our farming system, we will change CAP, we will change these things, we will, you know... But they haven't really done that. They haven't, like... They haven't really said, if you do think about having a second re- referendum, we will do these things. They haven't said that. They haven't encouraged mm. us to have a second referendum. I don't see anything that's, like... You know, and I just don't. I think I, mean, I watched a very interesting program. I watched also YouTube. 
And there's a guy who's just left the European Parliament, I think he was like a German guy, and he said, look, I just don't think they want the UK there because you're stopping the progress they want to make and you're putting, you know, you need to look at the number of times we voted no mm. to things. I don't know, it's just an idea. I'm not saying it's true, but for me, I think it's something worth thinking about that, you know, we are, we're holding back the European project, I think. We have done since Dear Old Maggie's. I'm certainly not a Maggie fan, I'd like to point out. <laughs> <laughs> so who do you think are the hopes for the future? What are the hopes for the future? On the sort of political Oh, no, absolutely. For me, what I've now done is um, I've met folks in the Welsh Government. I even went to Hong Kong and met a very high Welsh person. My idea is to make Cornwall a produce-led world food destination. My friend Adam is head of Cornwall Council. I've now met some very powerful folks in Cornwall. For me, I got quite depressed and desolate at the pub because... I'd sort of done my bit in Cornwall. Cornwall had got very well in London. I didn't really, you know, this whole idea of wanting to help farmers, I didn't know more, any more I could do. And Tom Adams raised his head again, Blondie, went to Coombs Head, and then Dan Cox was moving down, Tim Spedding. And I suddenly thought, oh shit, I. It's quite exciting. These that? are like, nobody in Cornwall's going to know who they are, but in the world food stage, people know these people. And I suddenly thought, well, I spent time in Lisbon, San Sebastian, I love Europe. I spent time. You know, in lot and um, Copenhagen, which I probably pointed out, very expensive, spent lots of money. Uh, right, but I'm talking a lot here. I'm sorry, chaps. You're like, um, that's what you're here no, for. We've been, I mean, we have been flat out steamrolled, but it's been very entertaining, so I'm, I'm happy to. And you did have a big one last night, so like, you yeah, probably. Yeah, that's fine. That's, that's, yeah. I'm quite enjoying that here. Don't have to say anything. Right. Second, second, Fernie Branca. <laughs> okay. Down the hatch. Right. Um, so, so what I've decided is I've met members of the Welsh government. They're a separate country ish. They, oh yeah, so like World Food Destination, these chefs are going to Cornwall. My friend Adam got voted as head of Cornwall County Council. I went to school with Adam Knight and, you know, we sat next to each other in all classes. I hadn't seen him for 30 years. But in Cornwall, you, we are pretty, you know, you just remember each other. It's like, what are you, you know, anyway, my friend Adam said, look, you don't know what's heading your way, but if you get everything right, if you do the right things, we can basically make Cornwall an absolute place worth for food tourism, you know, for basically food tourists. And I said that, we don't want any more people in July and August because it's so busy. But if we get very wealthy people from around the world visiting those times, we can then get them to keep this, these chefs that are coming and then they'll get more chefs. And then I said, what we could then do is create a Cornwall brand and we can make Cornwall produce. I think at the moment we've got the best butcher. And I, I'm saying this because we've worked 10 years and I am cocky, but I don't care really. We've got the best butcher possibly in the world, but certainly in the country. Most consistently. Philip best, Warren. Yeah, f- consistently best butcher in the country. I'm not saying there's other places that do great beat, but they've just spent a million pounds on a new hanging facility. They listen to all chefs, they do very work, very hard, and they work with farmers and they hang things. They are consistently the best butcher in the country. Colonel Shishimi and Wild Harbour are the two best fish companies in the country by just absolutely, no one's even close. Um, the Good Earth Growers, um, I would say the best growers in the country. We've got a quite interesting guy, he's now doing foraging, he's very interesting. We've got the guy, um, Ben Glazer at Coombs Head, who's, I'd say, the best baker. You know, we've got this, like, so I've sort of said, Let's look at what they do next in Madura. Let's look at how they do ham on. Let's put food levels in place. Let's show that we're aiming for the absolute best producing pork quality. And if you want to, we'll create a system where to get to where we want to be. Sorry, Matt, there's someone at the door. Oh, Keep talking. It? Okay, so if you it's, like, it's probably the Masons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's someone at the window as well. <laughs> so, so um, is this all right? I'm definitely hopping yeah, on. No, quite it's, fine. it's fine. It's fine. Um, yeah, we got. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so. So what I said was, yeah, so let's create a brand, let's make it world-class, and then let's do it for world markets. So my theory is that we have done a deal with America. This is my theory, like my thesis, my, right. my hypothesis. hypothesis. And my hypothesis is that two years ago we did a deal with America whereby we will sell them all our services 
and like financially, and in return we'll let them swamp us with shit produce. Right. And that was my, and I've I've seen nothing in two years that's, it may not be true, but I've seen nothing to disprove it. So my theory is, we need to protect off. If we want, we can either join in like those things were interesting. Whether you know feedlot grazing is coming to this country, everyone went crazy. Nice story of the Guardian to make people hate farmers even more again. Um, but we need to do something that protects our brilliant farmers and gets the money. So my theory is, let's create a strong, incredible strong brand. Let's look for world markets. And what I've now done is got very good contacts in Hong Kong and China. And I think we're in a position where my contact is very, very influential Chinese guy. Probably one of the most influential people in China and the UK. I'd say probably the most influential contact. We're now looking at doing, exploring markets in China and Hong Kong. We're quite way down the process. Um, so what my idea is to get farmers all working together, produce enough produce high quality to feed what we can in this country. This country is just not ready for high quality produce. And there are certain people, certain areas that are. But at the moment, supermarkets have so much power. If we carry on like we are, we're going to have no high quality farmers within 10 years. In 10 years time, if food journalists, if we don't start helping to farmers, you will have no high quality produce. All your produce is going to be from other countries and it's going to be from areas where they're predominantly interested in wheat and corn and it's going to feed a farming system that is destroying the planet. That, that's, that's where we're heading. You can believe me or not, I can see the future, you know, maybe if you believe me, that is where the future is heading. So we need to protect our farmers, we need to find world markets so we can then build up a very strong place where farmers have got to say, get them enough money to be able to, you know, keep kids in farming, bring new people into farming and fishing and then when the time is right then we can perhaps then talk to the supermarkets. So that's essentially my plan. I've now got a bit of a consultancy with the Welsh Government. My idea is to join Wales and Cornwall together. And this is my Brexit idea. Cornwall and Wales are the most synonymous with voting Brexit. If we are going to have Brexit, which we might not, I don't want it to be about immigration. I don't want it to be about um, racism. What I want it to be about is people joining together, finding world markets and bringing people from the world here. I want it to be a global thing. I, want, I love Europe. I've spent so much time in extra Madura with the best ham on farm in the country, in the world. But for me, let's not make it inward looking, let's make Brexit outward looking. So I'd almost like to help take the narr narrative to let's, let's make Brexit about opening ourselves to the world. And the most interesting thing about Brexit, in my opinion, is you've got a lot of entrepreneurs out there who are employing a lot of people in Europe. You know, through Europe is providing their businesses. People who employ people, you're the same, you guys. Once you start employing people, that, they become... Like, you're homeless people, they've got families, you care about them, you don't want them to... So you suddenly got all these entrepreneurs are like, oh shit, if there's no deal, like, these people are going <laughs> to like lose their jobs, just game over. So my Chinese contacts said that they've always, la always laughed at Britain because it's been Little Britain and it's so inward-looking and they don't look anywhere outside of Europe. Now they say it's like Britain has absolutely woken up. So behind the scenes, you've got a lot of entrepreneurs. And you've seen the trade figures, like, export is going up really well. Obviously, there's a lot of downside, but export out of Europe is really rising. That's because people are just like, they have to. They have to now look outside of Europe to find. So for me, even if we now still remain, it has meant that there is, we've, as we have connected with a lot around the world, with but people if we, we don't see. But if we leave, yeah. you know, already we're struggling to find people to pick. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So farm. Yeah, yeah, you know, how, yeah. how are we going to farm? Yeah, well, it, you, how's I the NHS going to run? How's yeah, actually, yeah. Run? I'm saying, I, for me, for me, it's negotiation, and we need to look at what our issues are. I think at the moment people are so encamped in leave or remain, they almost think 
like you're not going to get that. But really, negotiation should be like, right, if we're going to leave you, what we're going to do is create a system where, you know, we need 400,000 people in the summer, right? We will give you, mm. you know, and that should be part of it. That's We have to do that. But I fear... I fear that just won't happen because the people who are negotiating just aren't going to be able to do it. That's that's the issue, really. So I think yeah. And if you, and if we if we say okay, well, um, yeah. Sorry, I know we're running out of time. Oh, sure, um, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's yeah. Uh, so I, I vote to remain, and I would now vote leave because I think it's just shown the absolute weakness in our de- democratic system, and they are using it to for feather their own pockets, and we just need transparency and and. and I just think it's a desperate, desperate move. But what if we don't do it now? Ten years time, it's going to get worse and worse. That, that's I, that's my thing. I think it's worth a go. That's my thing. But I do, you know. But please don't think I'm. That's a happy ending there. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Ten years time, game over. Matt, you tweeted yesterday that uh, the best way to out a nutter is just to let them talk. How do you think you've done? <laughs> I think. I'm quite into Jordan Peterson. He did a Vice interview recently. It's brave. <laughs> I, I am. I absolutely think he's a. You know. Let's not go down that rabbit no, hole. No, no, but I think, I, 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 again, I don't believe everything he says, but no-one's debating him. Everyone's just picking it away. So he did a Vice interview recently, and if you read the whole thing, watch the whole thing, it's like just a debate, and it's actually really interesting. The interview was actually really good, and it was like two people discussing, and, you know, Peterson looked stupid in some ways, in other ways he didn't, but then they absolutely spliced it to make him look terrible. And right. For me, like, you know, if you just let me talk, I'm sure I've said some things that are really going to annoy people. And it's I making think, a lot of sense. But we didn't think, even get onto ticks either, but... Yeah. Um, That'll have to be next time. Well, no, um, um, chicory is makes animals tick um, pest resistant. So these oh, you did it, mention that, yeah. So we yeah. did, and it yeah. worms them. Yeah, yeah. Worms them, chicory. Yeah. yeah, it worms them. Yeah. Well, uh, Sam loves you, his chicory. Have so. you ever seen a? No uh, is it a woodpecker kingfisher movie? Have you ever seen their tongues? I wanted to say this that we did a podcast the other day and I forgot to say it. Oh, okay. Uh, no, we're, we're, we're talking about the countryside. Talking about birds, nature, etc. I'm obsessed with birds. I'm obsessed with birds. Have you seen their tongues? No. So their tongue. I can't remember if it's kingfisher or woodpecker. Their Same tongue thing. splits into two at the back of their mouth and then goes all the way around the back of their skull and the outside of their skull and down between their eyes. It's, it's attached all the way right. around their oh, out thing and that's why they can stick their tongue out as far as they can. They get it out of their beak. Can the kingfishers do that? It's either kingfishers or woodpeckers, I can't remember which. I, mean, Hell it, of a track. I would say it's always guaranteed. It's, well, I'd say it's, it'll be woodpeckers because they Probably need would, to... Yeah, they, they, they get grubs and yeah, bugs yeah, and stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 but it goes on the outside of their skull and then down to their eyes. Their tongue starts between their eyes basically and goes all the way around the back of their head. On the Gene Simmons of the bird world. On that note, I went to the Arable Farm where they do wheat up in Hertfordshire not a single bird. Visited my this incredibly interesting bee farmer, and I saw a greater spotted woodpecker fly over. And that's the difference between holistic farming and arable farming. Is that's when you know it's working. Because there we go. See, that's a, this is a much nicer way to end the podcast. <laughs> On that beautiful bucolic note, we will leave it. Uh, thank you, Matt. Thanks, for, Matt. Uh, if you do want to follow Matt's rantings on Twitter, <laughs> I, I uh, don't think I'll be on it much. Was it at Cornwall Project? Wait, yeah, follow the Cornwall Project on Instagram, right? Um, and then it's uh, at Cornish Grill. You know, I've got a funny feeling it might not be around much longer. I think it's for, you know, but no, it might be. I, basically, because I think the vegan thing is getting dangerous. Um, I'm basically not going to be talking about the vegan issues yeah. on Twitter anymore because I don't want to put people I work with in trouble. So I, I will not be ever talking about vegan issues on Twitter again because that, and that's why because you know it, it's, it's dangerous on my butcher and I, that's something I really don't want to you know do so it's sad but I, so if you don't yeah. want to read Matt's vegan that's fine follow <laughs> at Cornish Grill yeah Matt thank you very much for your time uh, thanks guys that's um, brilliant let's really do it again okay, cheers, cool. cheers bye, bye.